So what's your strategy for eating mixed nuts, Brandon? Mm, I do like to pick out the cashews always. That's what I'm always immediately looking for. If you give me a bowl of mixed nuts Uh, from there, I will search for almonds. And then after the almonds, if the only the uh, peanut of the the nut family is left, I will eat them, but be, be missing the other nuts. I will eat them only when there's nothing else. Oh, what am I? And I forgot the walnut. So yeah, cashew, almond, walnut, and then basically all the other peanut remnants. If that's all that's left, I will eat them, but I won't feel good about doing it. What is your strategy? So, okay, okay well, I, I'll, I'll get to mine. I've, I've had, I had two mixed items today, and I've had a lot of time to reflect on it. And okay. I think I would describe your strategy as the, the like, stack rank strategy. Not, stack rank's the wrong. There's some phrase for this, but, like, you're, you've ranked the nuts, and yeah. you want to take out each group of nuts. 100%. Right? Like, yeah. So I'm going to eat all the cashews first. Then I clusters, if you will, that's an yeah. appropriate name for a nut strategy. Whereas like, I think I have more of a, uh, let's call it a lazy round Robin, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I don't eat all of the same type of, I don't cluster the nuts. I go around and I try to kind of like, you know, eat a different, different variety of nuts ongoing. Now, right. I'm not, I'm not enough of a, um, you know, whatever the word is, one doesn't like to make metaphors to mental conditions that aren't where you don't actually have. But like, I'm not enough of an organized person uh, to like, you know, actually make sure I don't do two, two or three things in a row. (laughs) But I do, I, it's, I, I wouldn't say that like, I would eat all the cashews first. That just wouldn't come up. And now, now the modification on my round Robin style and why I call it a lazy round Robin is I think what I'm doing is I am trying there act there there will be like one or two nuts that are you know like I would rather just be eating only that right like I like a cashew right like or or like a smokehouse almond right like you could what if you had a smokehouse cashew that's really that would yeah, be that's the, great uh, that's fantastic hmm. maybe what, what I need to get a smokehouse almond bag and I'm gonna pour <laughs> some cashews in there and shake it up. And then and then separate out the cashews and the almonds, and then we'll see what that's. that's yeah, but like. you're like now you're going a whole nother level. I'm assuming like the mixed nuts have sort of just been like you haven't created, you haven't curated your own mixed nut. Bag, no, no, right? no, no, like, not not like, at this all. is not like you're just giving it like on the airplane or somewhere exactly. else. Like exactly. You know, of course, if you can curate your own nuts, only buy the nuts I like. No, no, so but then, that's 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 what I'm getting at. Is like now, I think what I end up doing, and I did this with a uh, like a tropical mixed fruit, which is kind of the same thing. You cut up fruit. Yep. And you can you can buy like you could buy like the container yeah. uh, at Albert Hein of mango for three mm-hmm. euros. You can't buy a container of only papaya. You can mm-hmm. buy a container of like you know prepared coconut, you know, like with the little brown part on it for three yep. euros. Or you can buy the tropical mix, which contains right. coconut, papaya, pineapple, and coconut and mango. And melon has to have melon. Man, doesn't have just like like a honeydew kind of melon. No, it ha- it has no, it has mango. Oh. There's a whole other one that's like the melon one. I feel like this is an American thing. Then it's like yeah, like you're describing great this fruit salad kind of thing you're talking about is fantastic. But you know, at least at the H E B, you know, it's like you get if you buy the fruit salad that's pre made, you're getting a lot of crappy melon. You're like you're oh, gonna get some fucking cantaloupe. You're like oh <laughs> cantaloupe and honeydew again. You're not getting no mango. You're like you gotta go you gotta go search out the mango separate and either mix it in. Like I went somewhere where someone made a fruit salad of all great fruits. I was like, I like rediscovered fruit. I'm like, 
gosh, this is great. Where does this these mystical fruits come from? They're like, oh, it's just in the grocery store. It's just not in the mixed fruit thing that's already like, made. Oh, but anyway, you mean I don't have to have apples and bananas yeah, in my it's like fruit apples mix and and cantaloupe. You're like again. I can't believe it again. <laughs> Um, so here's what I found myself doing. Like I, 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 uh, I, I had gone into the Albert Hein, uh, and I was like, I, I think I want to get the coconut, but every, you know, I, I get, I, I always, after I eat the coconut, I feel like I've had too much coconut. So now I'm going to get the mixed fruit, but the coconut in this case is the cashew of the, the mixed fruit. Right. And so mm-hmm, what I'm yeah. doing, I noticed what I'm doing is I don't really like the pineapple, uh, yep. so much. And at one point, I was like, I think I'm eating all the pineapple in order to get rid of the pineapple, which is yeah, a whole other level there. of like, or you could just yeah. throw away the pineapple. That's, yep. that's you know, in mind there. exploding. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it made me stop and slow, and, and, and I was like, okay, well, I've eaten four pieces of pineapple. I feel like I owe it to myself to have a mango. So now mm-hmm. I'm going to eat a mango, right? Mm-hmm. And then like, oh, I'm going to eat a coconut. And I was like, but then here's the thing I try, I'm trying to get to is like, I want the last things that I eat to be the best things. Oh, I like it. You want to end on a bang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so I'm kind of like, I want there to be at the end, and I don't want it to be just one piece of coconut. Because if it's one piece of coconut, that's just yeah. the one coconut. At least memory, you want it. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. I want to have like four pieces of coconut left. Yep. So it's like a big, big firework bang, right? Like mm-hmm. and the, the last four bites are going to be equal to three, three times as much as the first bites were, just like a, you know, 4th of July, New Year's Eve firework show. And so I think... And, and it made me reflect, I do that same thing with mixed nuts, right? So I don't want to eat all the good stuff. I want to kind of like go through and even it out to kind of get more of an even keel of, of, of the nut eating there. So there are three strategies. Let's summarize. Yeah. There's yeah. stack ranked preferred first, which is what I described in the nuts, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. There's stack ranked eat the least appetizing first and then work your way to the good stuff, which I yes. can tell you, I use that for a different meal. We can get into that later, probably in a future episode because we at some point <laughs> want to talk about some tech stuff. And then there, I'm going to call what you just described round Robin, where it's like, you want to mix in, you know, the good and the bad, but you finish in a flurry. You finish yes. with like, so it's like round Robin stacked, you know, if you will, less preferred then finish with most preferred. So I like it. I mean, this is probably a research paper someone's already written, but I think those are all equally valid strategies. And I probably do apply them in different situations. Nuts, as I've already said, but like if you were to just put a a regular plate of food in front of me, I would go stack rate worst to best, right? Where it's like, especially if there's a lot of vegetables, I'd be like, all right. And I I, I try to get my son on this. I'm like, hey, listen, just power through the vegetables quick, right? (laughs) Get the broccoli done, you know, get the boiled carrots done, whatever we got to do. And because you're looking forward to that, that protein, usually you're like, I want to get back to that protein. So let me just quickly get through the vegetables. But a lot of people think that's crazy too. So, you know, what are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think the other, the fourth uh, principle that my, uh, the mother of my, my girlfriend in high school and college uh, followed was eat dessert first. Software defined talk is brought to you by teleport. Every hack follows the same problem. First, hackers exploit a human error, like a leak key or a secret left in code. They gain a foothold and then pivot, moving from one compromised system to the next. Sound familiar? Teleport breaks this cycle. Open source Teleport gives every engineer, every piece of hardware, every application an identity. Replacing secrets like password and keys with auto-expiring identity-based certificates, the Teleport platform reduces the opportunity for human error, increasing productivity, and revolutionizing security and compliance. Learn why the most valuable visionary businesses in the world choose Teleport at 
goteleport.com. And of course, we thank Teleport for sponsoring our show. Well, I was talking with someone this morning uh, from uh, Matt Ray's neck of the woods, actually. Well, his current neck of the woods. I don't know. Is, is the neck of the woods where you currently reside or where you're from? Mm, uh, I would say either. I think you can use it either way. Okay. But, you yeah. know, I'll look for a defender ruling from someone else on that. I think I think I think uh, I forget the line exactly, but it's not it's not from where you was. It's where you is. Anyways. Uh, so anyhow, uh, and, and we are going over, you know, the in, in our industry uh, and, and in the world of, of infrastructure software and stuff, especially if you're on the vendor side, like like I am, like you are, all of that, like inevitably you encounter the buy versus build discussion. And this is particularly <laughs> true in, in software development and uh, cloud stuff. Because as we all know, most everything um, in, in we'll just, let's just say platform, most everything in the, the cloud, Kubernetes, container type of architecture, software development stack is available as open source. Now, uh, obviously, you can't just go download how Amazon runs and stand up your own AWS. So there's a lot of, I would assume a lot of closed source stuff running around there that is like the uh, the proprietary stuff that runs the public clouds. And then also, you know, vendors like uh, where I work, VMware, we have a lot of uh, proprietary closed source stuff that, that we combine together. But pretty much whatever you want, you could get open source, especially when it comes to like Kubernetes. So um, I'm sure you encounter this a lot. You know, there's always a discussion of like, why don't I just build my own thing uh, straight up on bare metal? Right. I, for whatever reason, I'm not going to be using the public cloud, uh, or or in addition to using public cloud, I'm also going to use, uh, you know, this. And so we, what we want to do is we want to build uh, our own stack, right? And like, like, I'm I'm not really looking for a like, you know, obviously what what I working at VMware would say is you shouldn't do that because that's that's what I would say. And because I, I, I've talked with many organizations who've uh, failed at that. There's, there's some bias that if I'm talking to them, they're probably interested in VMware stuff. So, you know, they might be interested in an alternative. But I thought I, thought I should ask you for your like, like what is, if, if you were to look at, at uh, kind of both cases here, like how do you, how do you yourself, Brandon, think through this? And how do you like, you know, DXC, Brandon person when you're doing your 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 strategic developer focused thinking how do you like kind of structure thinking through that how how would you advise someone here's how to make the decision here's like what you should be considering definitely something you know I think it comes up quite a bit so my decision flow would be start with like one which is going to sound obvious it's like one if you don't have any money right well then you should build it you should just download the open source right I know that sounds like obvious but it's like <laughs> no that's good yeah like sometimes <laughs> people like you know sometimes it'd be like and I think this is the case for a lot of things. Like sometimes there may be a known solution that you could pay money for that. You're like, man, that would be, a, that's probably a lot better use of time. Um, but I don't have the money. Like I just, my company doesn't have the money. Like, or we don't, and really what it really, what I mean by that is usually we don't have the budget to pay for this type of software in mm. this, in, for this kind of thing. Right. So like, for example, like if you want to uh, crop a photo, like you probably should use Photoshop. It's probably the best thing there, but it's also really expensive. And you're like, Maybe I don't have that. So I'll just hack together and I'll do it like in uh, some tool that I currently have that's not nearly as good at it. That takes me three times as long. So I don't I think sometimes you just have to like come like, you know, identify where you're at. It's like we don't have the money to do it. All mm. all we have is time. Right. We just have our time. Right. Right. So therefore, we're going to do this thing. So that's like I, maybe it's stating the obvious, but like you start there. OK, that's number one. Number two, then is, OK, 
are you solving a situation uh, in your company that is that you believe is truly unique? And this is where you have to have some real openness to the outside world. It's like sometimes you may encounter something that is a situation where it's like, hey, this is very proprietary because we have some very unusual requirements mm-hmm. that are often not going to be met by any commercial product. Now, I'm going to say 90% of the time people think this and it's not the case. They're like, oh, you're not going to believe it. We have to like take online orders and we spike up in traffic and, you know, and like there's just nothing that could do this. And, and then you like on the vendor side, you're like, I've had this is the 15th call today I've had where someone's told me this. It's like this is all uh-huh. we do. Right. This is like this is what the software is made for. So so that that's where I think you have to be. Now, the opposite may be it's like, hey we're a governmental agency or we're dealing, we're working at a scale. And I think this is where the hype, uh, like a, a Netflix, a Twitter, especially early on, right? And this is why you see so much of, you know, the technology that we talk about today kind of roll out of these Google, of course, roll out of these large, it's like, they, Hey, they're dealing with a scale that is so large that only they could probably solve it because no one else is really working on that problem. Right. Right. And, and then if, if I could insert also, it happened like five or 10 years ago, right? When, when yeah, there was no yeah. alternative. There just wasn't an alternative and someone's like, how do I do this? Okay, so that is like, again, the trap there is most of the time, there's a tendency to like think you're in that category, but not really be in that category. So one, I think that requires introspection. You have to really decide amongst yourself, like, is that really the case? And it's probably not going to be something that uh, once you've decided you are unique, I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time trying to convince someone they're not. I would just say, hey, you know, then good, you know, tell them how to do it and wish them good luck. And then finally it comes back to, okay, well, all right, you know, we're not unique. Um, the problem we're solving is pretty much, you know, something that's been solved before. So we, we really are in that buy versus build discussion m- mode. And so the thing I would start to think about is, okay, what are you as an organization good at, right? It's like, are you good at managing relationships with vendors? Are you good at getting your team trained on uh, technology? Are you good at keeping working with vendors and keeping that software up to date, making sure that your vendors know what you need, make sure you kind of have a good open dialogue. Is that something that you are good at as a company? Then you're really like, that's going to be like, hey, we really should be steering towards buy. Okay, if you're not good at that or you feel like that's something that you don't want to become good at and you're like, I'm really good at like running engineering teams, hiring really good engineering talent. I can get the most out of, you know, if you will, building infrastructure that is not going to directly have, uh, if you will, line of sight to supporting a business function, but my company and I have the skills at really doing that uh, very, very well. And I and I have my company and my management are behind me in investing in that kind of organization. Basically, the people, the operational costs, that's what the executive team wants to spend money on. Okay, that's what people like. That's the, the engineering discipline that the company is really invested in. And this is where, again, you have to have really have like some introspection here, like when you go to your board meetings, you meet with your executives, are they asking about that? Are they interested in agile? Do they understand the benefits? Or are they just more like, hey, you said you deliver this and I don't see it. Like what's going on? Like, are they more bottom line business kind of generated? Because that's really going to drive that decision. So if you did have an organization that was really committed to that engineering talent, it's like, okay, then I would consider to build it. For everyone else, I'd have my vendors in. I would you know, really go through uh, extensive proof of concepts and prove out that like, yes, I, I can get what I want from them. And I think managing those relationships go, going forward is going to be better. So then I'd lean towards the buy. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's a good system. And I think, you know, the, uh, your fourth one, which is like, let's see if 
your I forget the strategy word for this, but let's see if your capabilities, let's see if you have synergies in your capabilities with, with building out this stuff, right? Like you're saying, like if you, if your organization both wants to engineer something and you also have those capabilities, then that is a viable option versus if you, if, if you're better at outsourcing it, (laughs) not, not outsourcing in like people, but just like buying it like somewhere else, then that's, that's a good option as well. If you're not good at both of those, then maybe that's a problem or at either of those. And maybe that's a problem. But so, so that's, that's a, you know, that, that approach I think is what a lot of vendors go down the path of, which is the negative way of putting that is like, Oh, you're probably not going to succeed at this. (laughs) Right. Which is like probably not the best way to persuade someone that like, this is not going to turn out well for you. Uh, which, you know, I think is what we see a lot, right? Like you, you end up hearing someone, uh, you know, we spent a year trying to build this thing out and X million dollars and, and that didn't work. Like there's, there's cases of that. Now, now to the point, a Contra case, like I, uh, is it, is it Contra? Whatever. On the, on the other side, uh, there, there is, I, I finally have been watching some, uh, talks here and there and I saw a talk that Mercedes gave at, uh, KubeCon EU about how I think five, six years ago, they started building out their own Kubernetes thing, which I think is an example of like, are you, are you good at doing that? And uh, is that what you want to focus on? Hopefully. So that, that was an interesting case there, but it also fits the, um, some of the other criteria you're going over that like, yeah, you know, like five, six years ago, it's kind of what was available. If you didn't want to use public cloud stuff and, uh, and other options that were out there. Now, the case that like, I always find squiggly or or difficult is is i think i think it was the uh, i didn't take extensive notes i apologize but i think i think it was the uh, the third one which is basically the um is are we talking about building a commodity stack right something that like there's no differentiation your business is going to get by having built this thing like it's everyone else is going to have one of these things and it's all going to behave basically the same like there's, there's no way you're not going to win based on, uh, this technology, which, you know, the, uh, famously the example of a company getting better, maybe this isn't entirely how this company like won in the eighties, but like it definitely helped out is like, I think Walmart famously had like 24 hour inventory, like analysis. So they could like faster than Kmart and all these other people, they could figure out what products to ship where and like sales to do. So they had, uh, I don't know if back then they called it small data, but they had some kind of some kind of data that they were doing that they could go through, which is a total technology thing, right? And I don't know if uh, SAS SAS was in there or whatever, but uh, but it seems like uh, that's the one that that I always find the most difficulty, like getting people to walk along with, because <laughs> because like I th- I think I think almost there's like. It's not a fifth one, but there's another straight or a layer running through all this, which is, I guess, like, like overconfidence <laughs> of, of like, like it kind of like you were saying, right? Like, e- even in the case where you don't have money to buy something, like you still need the skills to do it successfully, right? Like, and, and so it's, it's sort of like, you know, if I don't have the money to pay to like build a balcony out of my roof, I probably shouldn't do it on my own. <laughs> yeah, well, I think you're getting into the, I mean, maybe that's the, the deepest introspection is like, listen, if you don't have the money and you don't have the skills to do either, it's like, well, you got to kind of reevaluate what you're trying to do. It's like, you, you, this may be, you need to go 
partner up, find, you know what I mean? You got to find, you got to go find something. You got to go find someone with the skills or find someone with the money before you do anything, right? Maybe that's the the ultimate startup lesson, right? It's like, yeah, sure. Everybody, you know, that's like, you know, such a cliche, like everyone has ideas and it's like, yeah, of course, but it's like, okay, well, like you have to like go figure out what are the means to execute the idea. So um, if you, if you find yourself, you have neither then for sure. And then back to your Walmart one, you know, I think the Walmart one makes sense because I, you know, at least, you know, in hindsight here, hindsight, of course, is always uh, 2020 as we say, but it's like, okay, well in that case, it was like, we need to build a proprietary system because, there's no one that can provide us in real time inventory data um, that we need. And we're going to use this to significantly drive down costs. I don't know if that's actually what happened, but like, let's just assume it was. And so that would be makes a lot of sense, right? That makes quite a bit of sense about why you would build it. And I think, you know, having been around Walmart on the vendor side a couple of times, like I know for a fact that they didn't like write every line of code. Like you mentioned SAS, they brought in, uh, they bought, um, vendor to other vendor solutions to piece together a real time inventory solution, right? Like stuff like remedy and, th- and things like that. So even in that case where they're quote unquote building it, they're really, if you will, um, you know, utilizing a lot of vendor products to make that a little bit faster. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I don't know the the history of what they built, but I mean, that would be, it's an example of like something, it, it, it's an example of like, because they're your competitors don't have it. It is technology that's differentiating. Right. Like it allows. You oh, I think 100 percent. And I think for something. sure, like I, I totally agree. And this is where Amazon's, you know, famous, you know, all their automation in their warehouse. Like you, I, I know some people here in Austin, right. They work at Amazon on the tech side. And it's like, you know, everything when they say that they usually mean that they're working on all kinds of like, um, you know, automation inside the warehouse, whether it's scheduling, you know, all of that stuff. And it's like, yeah, of course, that pays off in spades. And so. Those kinds of things, I think it is. I mean, that's what you got to really think through. I just think, you know, for a lot of people that maybe, you know, flip it around. If like, if if you're just a small company and you're just like managing your warehouse because you're like direct to consumer kind of brand, right? It's like, you know, what's going to be valuable there is building a great brand, right? Like if anything, you don't even want to own a warehouse. Yeah. Or if you do, you want to get out of it quickly. So someone said like, I'm going to build this great direct to consumer brand that sells like, you know, really good t-shirts and I'm really great at building those brands, I would tell them, that's great. Like you should, you know, actually minimize or use as many off the shelf Shopify, whatever, right. To like minimize your warehouse stuff. Cause that's not where your competitive differentiation is going to come from. Right. Right. You're, you're, you're more in the IP area unless there's something like truly, uh, and, and IP protected about, you know, the, the, the feel of your t-shirts and the way they're cut. But I do think Cote, when you're having these conversations, I'd be curious to see if you ever tried this tact. It's like, a lot of times we get centered on IT, but you can flip it around. Like we just kind of, we, we just kind of uh, said this um, direct to consumer is a good example. It's like, okay, like if I came to you and said, I'm going to launch a new company and I'm excellent at technology, right? But I've, I have really have, haven't done much on creating brands and awareness. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I said to that group, like, I'm going to create a really big brand versus like, maybe I should supply t-shirts to this direct to consumer brand. Right. But if someone says to you, like, I'm this company, I've never done this before, but I'm going to build a world-class direct-to-consumer brand. I'm going to make funny YouTube videos. I'm going to be a master of social media. I'm going to get great celebrity endorsements. Uh, It's going to be fantastic, but I've never done any of that, right? And it's like, hmm, I don't know. Wait a minute. Like Before you go down that path and you do all of that together, maybe maybe you should call an ad agency. You know what I mean? Maybe you should get some help. That's that's a good point. I mean, that's... that's, uh... Uh, you know, the, I'm I'm told that one of the powers of fiction is to get you to establish empathy with other people, and it, that's kind of that's kind of like uh, that's that's stratagem. There is like let's use a, a 
an analogous situation so that you can kind of like get empathy with the the general structure uh, of the discussion that we're having there. And and like you're saying, take a, you know, and then therefore take a closer look at like, oh, right. In the same way, I mean, I'm finishing what you're saying, but like in the same way that basically we're, we're not, uh, we're not builders of this sort. We just thought we were in the same way that we couldn't really come up with a brand. Like, you know, we don't even own a license for illustrator. (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah. like and so so that might be a problem like like learning how to you know the only dot ai files you know you can open a dot a file ai file in preview but like i don't know if you can do anything with it it's such a weird no you can't don't when you see an ai file run that, you know, ask for the jpeg i mean but you know speaking of cropping <laughs> photos like preview is such a strange application like it's i bet i bet if you're at adobe preview is like such a frustrating application because it's it's like it's like I bet I bet Apple doesn't even care about how many billions of market cap they've destroyed over the years that we had to fight tooth and nail to get back. I know preview is it's the ultimate thing. Every once in a while, you're like, oh, I wish it did this, and you find out it does it. You're like, oh, this is so fantastic. Yeah. They just threw that in there. Like preview, it's a good, it's a really good yeah. tool. Uh, but so okay, so then so then the last thought here uh, is, or at least the last thought I have at the moment is when I when I was discussing this with some people recently, I I, I came up with a new theory that. This build versus buy stuff in the infrastructure platform layer, I kind of think is only a private cloud problem. Because if you go to the public cloud, I don't know if there's a lot of discussion of like, oh, I'm just going to buy IaaS and build all this stuff on top of it. <laughs> right? Like, I, I, right. I don't, I'm, yeah. I'm no like Corey Quinn or whatever, but like, I feel like if you were to look at the buying behaviors of people in public cloud, they buy the finished services a lot more. I don't know. I mean, databases would be a good one, right? You could see that. You could go look and see um, if if there were more people like running their own databases on just raw public cloud infrastructure versus buying the database service. And that, that's something you could go look and verify. But my theory would be that people just buy whatever services they want in public cloud. And so that that's like if I got if I dug into that more, that might be some interesting an interesting conclusion to have here that really the discussion is like, it's just more of like the annoyances of like building your own cloud versus uh, using a service uh, would be there. So I'll have to investigate further, but I don't know, maybe we should like come back with like some, some, we'll throw out, I'll throw out some numbers that people can disagree with, but I mean, it's something like this. Like I would say like 90% of people, 90, 95% of people should not go build a uh, direct-to-consumer brand by themselves. If I was to do that, I would go enlist some help, right? Just as in the same thing with, you know, on your IT side, if you're going to deploy any type of distributed system, I'd probably say 90, 95% of the people out there should should look at something, right? Whether it be a private cloud solution, any of the hyperscalers, some type of mix, you know, some type of uh, uh, hybrid thing. It's like, you know, most people are going to benefit a lot from, going in, ha- having the vendor relationship and have somebody help you kind of do this together, right? I think very few people are going to find it successful other one. So if you disagree with any of that, you should know you should do. You should join the software to find talk Slack and then just get in there and tell me <laughs> I was wrong. And like, and then tell me like, like it, it doesn't work. Right. And, and t- or tell me why, because I, I like to do it. But like, that's kind of what I would say It's like most of the time, you know, I guess it's just another version. It's like, hey, you know, unfortunately, most of us are average, right? And I think that's kind of the same thing in our business. Like most of the companies, most of us out there should probably go seek out 
some type of supported solution to help us achieve our business goals. Yeah. Um, now, having said all that, I'm sh- I know there are many people who are successful doing them on their own. I just don't think that's the most common case. Yeah. I, I think, I think, uh, uh, you know, it's probably the case that on average, most people are average. I, I think is, is where we can come out. Definitive. Come out that. <laughs> we check the map on that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, speaking of building your own brand, like, I think, I think we can check in on it. It's an ongoing, uh, you know, o- ongoing sort of thing we have here talking, is figuring out what's going on with Facebook and, and people like Netflix. And the reason, you know, I remember several years ago, I was like, I, want this, I don't want this podcast to talk about all the fang stuff all the time. But I think the fascination with uh, what, what goes on in, in the Facebook world is, at least for me, and also Netflix to a limited extent, is like, well, it's a good example of like late stage uh, disruptor theory. Right. Where like it's it's easy is the wrong word, but like a lot of what people focus on in disruption theory, especially in the tech world, is like how to be the disruptor, the startup that comes in and like, uh, you know, messes up a market to their advantage. Insert in, insert orthodox definition of disruption theory here. Yeah. Well, but I was thinking about this less about like the exact Facebook situation, but I was, I was thinking about this because Facebook famously has, you know, the sun. Uh, Sun Microsystems, which I, a long time I used to work at. Anyway, if you go to Facebook's campus, like they on the new sign that says Facebook, they kept the old Sun sign, you know, on the back, right? And I think that is, if you kind of hear Mark Zuckerberg and other people talk about it, it's sort of like it's it's an idea to remember. Or at least this is what I take from it. It's an idea to remember that if if you can be displaced very easily, right? Things can happen, right? And I think a lot of this comes from the at least the quote is attributed to. Um, the former ET Intel CEO about like only the paranoid survive. And I was thinking about this a little bit. And it's like, and I feel like this, this idea is like pervasive in you know, mostly in tech, right? It's like, Hey, you got to be paranoid about your competition. Otherwise you're going to miss out. And I, I'm going to just say like, I think the sun sign, like I think what Mark Zuckerberg probably thinks, cause I actually remember going to that campus when it's still a sun campus is that like, well, the people at sun, they, they weren't paranoid. They kind of lost you know, lost their, uh, lost, if you will, focus on what they were doing and they ultimately uh, lost out. And it's like, I remember being there at the time, not working so much on the servers, but working in like another part of the software division. And it's like, I think actually that wasn't the case at all, right? It wasn't that like people didn't know about it and, or people weren't, if you will, quote unquote, aware of it, or if you will, I don't know, paranoia, that's always like a weird word. So maybe that's a wrong way to do it. It's that like, what really happens is like an external force like kind of happens to the company, right? Even if they kind of are aware of it, it doesn't mean you can like stop it, right? And I think in the case of Sun, um, this was the movement of Linux to run on inexpensive x86 machines and how quickly that started to happen in the mm. server market, which really, if you will, just undercut all, if you will, the lion's share of Sun's revenue in the Spark server line, right? And it's like, it's one of these things where it's like, it's I almost like attribute this to more like you're sailing a ship in the ocean, right? But like there are these storms that come out of nowhere that like, you know, you can know that it could eventually happen to you, but doesn't mean as soon as you decide to go into the ocean, right? You just acknowledge that this can potentially happen. And it's not like you can just be like, I'm going to change a hurricane. I'm going to prevent it from happening. And so I was thinking about this in relationship to Facebook. Because I think the thing that they're doing has happened to them. Like the storm that they're trying to weather is like Apple changed the privacy rules inside uh, iOS. And it looks like it cost them $10 billion, according to them, in revenue. 
And it's like, I don't think it is like, a, like they're not paranoid about it. Like they knew it was going to happen, but it doesn't mean you could change anything. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. can't stop these things. And I think, so I guess that's why I was thinking a lot about this was around, you know, we keep thinking that like, oh, like, like paranoia is sort of like assuming that like, if I was more aware of it, I could prevent this. Right. And I guess I would think of it more around like, you're not going, being aware of the weather doesn't mean you can change the weather. Right. Mm. Like you can't quickly go get $10 billion of revenue back doing anything. Now, maybe you can do it with uh, be renaming your company Meta. Maybe that eventually the the metaverse will save you. Um, but I would go back and say, Sun, you know, they tried, they, their metaverse bet at the time, when I say it, it's going to be kind of funny, but like it was to like, we need to embrace open source. There was this, like, if you were inside Sun or if you remember, there was this big press release, Jonathan Torts, like Redshift, uh, uh, Blue Shift, and like everything's going to be open source and Sun's going to like, you know, if you will, the future is open source and Sun's going to build a very profitable business around that. Well, that, tr you know, that didn't really work out for lots of reasons that we won't go into today. And I think, you know, Zuckerberg and, and Facebook are making this big bet, but like it may not work out to them, right? And we may look back at them in the same kind of way. It's like, hey, you got hit by a big storm, right? You couldn't quickly replace the revenue. The metaverse bet you made didn't pay off and people are going to be like, you know, write the same kind of book. Well, they just weren't really watching. And mm. it's like, to me, it's like, I think you're being acted upon. So I think, I guess my whole point of kind of bringing this up is like, maybe it's less about paranoia, but it's more about just acknowledging the external forces that are going to act on you. And I'm not saying you shouldn't react, but like, there's also limitations to what you can do. Yeah. You know, it, it, se it seems like, well, one, uh, I agree. Like sometimes you're just fucked. Right. Like, <laughs> like, and, you know, wouldn't it be funny if the reason they turned the sun sign around is like it was some kind of joke about like, why buy a new sign when we could just turn this one around? <laughs> kind, kind, kind of like true. if it was just being cheap, kind of like with, uh, you know, Amazon having yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, doors for desks instead of real desks. That would be funny. I mean, that would be funny. I, 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 li I like the apocryphal version of the story rather than the snarky one. But, uh, you know, it, it, it does bring up and maybe this, this is part of why I find it fascinating is like. It seems, and and it's not that there is a theory about this. It's like this is what most corporate strategy is, is like basically coming up with a multi-decade sustainable set of strategies for your company. And what that ends up meaning is having a way of hedging out what your core strategies are. Now, the, 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 the euphemism for this is like you don't want to be a one-trick pony. Right. Like you don't want to have like one thing that you do <clears throat> as a business. And so if that one thing is threatened, you're you're out right now. You know, Facebook has different faces, so to speak, of what it does. Like it's got WhatsApp and Instagram and then the core Facebook thing. But, you know, so that's why the, with the Netflix thing, we're always interested in how is Netflix going to expand into things as it get into gaming, because that's another like that's a kind of a hedge of another market that it can get into and. I don't know. We'll see how that goes. But of course, <clears throat> to bring up the successful person or company, well, I guess the Supreme Court in the U.S. says people are companies are people. So we can say person. That's that's <laughs> fine. But like, um, you know, you, you have in, in, in contrast, you, you've got two two contrasting cases. One, you have Google, who is who maybe still is, but was just like they were like doing all sorts of different things, <clears throat> I assume for fun and to explore new lines of business, right? Like, and maybe like, I wonder if Chromebooks must be successful. Like that was a weird, like why would but, you But let's that? take Google. I yeah. think Google is a great, another good example here. So Facebook is, is, if you will, in the middle of the storm. Someone has come to them and basically taken away 10 billion in revenue. They got to figure it out. 
Google, I still think 98% of the revenue, if not higher, is coming from right, right, ads, right. some form of ads. So they so have an Google, for example. Yeah, and that's what I say. Like, so I don't know when or if it will ever happen, but what would happen, let's say uh, magically, for some reason, people stopped interacting with a search engine the way that they did. Like magically tomorrow, voice was a lot better and they weren't able to show ads, right? Well, just suddenly, it's just like Google would be in just a, a, the same Toast. type of difficult position to like replace all that revenue. Right, right, was, right, there's right. not some, there's not like, oh, well, you know, it turns out G Suite, uh, you know, Android, like those businesses are rounding error compared to the other things. And I think, and, and this would be the same kind of thing we'd be talking about. It's like, well, Google wasn't paranoid. They, they didn't see it coming. It's like, well, I don't know when or if that will ever happen. But like, if it did, just like it did for Sun, right? It's like, you're being acted upon and there just may not be a, a simple move. Yeah, so, so, like so, that, so that's that. good because that's kind of where I was going towards. And I think it's clarified the, the thinking here, which is, so you could say like, all right, so if we want to do some strategic hedging, we should try a whole bunch of new businesses, right? And And I think, I don't know if this is true, but I think maybe something that I keep coming back to it when, when I'm thinking about this is when you're doing strategic hedging, you should not do big bet disruptive things, right? Because the point of a hedge isn't, well, I don't know in finance, but the point of a strategic hedge isn't like a bet. It's that if things go poorly, we'll be covered, right? Like that's, that's what you're doing with the hedge. And so you don't want to do like a bunch of wacky, what do they call them? Moonshot things as your st- strategic hedge. And instead, you want to like kind of spin up some more like pragmatic, I can see like eyesight to profitability, which is more like I think the way Amazon does like strategic hedging, right? Like they have, they have all these different lines of business in various stages of development, especially over, they've been around like almost 30 years now, right? And, and they've successfully like created new lines of business that make lots of money that fit into their overall corporate thing that like... I mean, clearly, if you were to take down Amazon retail, that would be a problem, <laughs> right? But like, but like all these other things, like they could weather, to use your metaphor, kind of weather the storm of like other things going down or not, right? Because they they're like kind of strategically hedged out on all this stuff. Like, I guess, for example, like if if their if their Alexa business just tanked, they'd probably be fine. Right. Like it, it, it's not yeah. like it's not like the, the main thing that they have. And maybe even like I'm not I'm not a good analyst of them, but like maybe even if their retail marketplace thing tanked, like, you know, their third party seller stuff, they might also be fine. Right. Like and, yeah. and so like they have like that's an example of a strategy where like you're not really like I mean, ironically, all, a lot of that money is used to fund like, you know, rockets and shit like that. But whatever. <laughs> but like. That's an example of like, you know, we're not trying to bring internet to the world with like blimps or, right. or like, you know, figure out how to recycle styrofoam, which I don't, that would be great, I guess. But like, we don't have these wacky projects that we're doing. They're very like, you know, what if we had our own cosmetic line? <laughs> like, yeah. and no, and I, I think what you're getting at is like, obviously the, the defensibility of a business to some degree, you know, if you just look at it from an outsider, it's like, oh, well, how different are the potential profit streams? So in the case of Amazon, at least, at least the retail and AWS, we'd say those are pretty big independent kind of businesses of one is down, the other can be up and vice versa. Whereas, you know, I think in the case of Fe- Facebook and Google, right, they're really tied to advertising Netflix today, really, you know, they're sort of experiencing the storm. But again, this isn't a storm necessarily, um, 
about another company. It's just sort of like they just found the ceiling. It's like 220 million subscribers seems to be the ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. At least at the moment. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so again, like I don't, you know, like why is it 220 million? I have no no idea. But there, as they try to like, you know, do something different in games, right? That's the same kind of thing. It's like they're not. It, again, it's not that I think they aren't paranoid, right? It's like I keep coming back to. It's like as a business, or it just and I think about this like when when you're just running your own product line. So it's just like what are the existential threats? to you that could happen like i work in migrations if suddenly everything was in the right place that would be really bad Mm. right it'd be like well it's there's no one wants to move anything like well you know what i mean like that would not be a good uh sign for that business now obviously that's not going to happen anytime soon but you know someday right you know that that is what's going to go on i think intel let's just you know throw one more out is just to say they're really in the uh, uh the storm around it's like well People are moving away from x86. People are moving away from the power just uh, envelope of those chips moving towards, you know, ARM and things like that. And it's like they built the entire company about being great at doing that. So maybe they go to do something else. But again, this is sort of like been coming for a long period of time. I think the people at Intel are really smart. I think they really saw this coming, but doesn't mean you can quickly change it and add back all this revenue. So, so I just think about that all the time. It's like, you know, Paranoia always comes back to like thinking you are the human being. If you were more diligent, you would have addressed this. But I just think a lot of times, and I think, you know, Sun is being a good example of you're going to be acted upon and you may or may not survive. And unfortunately, you may have a lot less control over it than you think you have. Mm. Well, you know, I think uh, FY24 planning is coming up, Brandon. And so I think when we <laughs> we're going to have to go to the software defined talk board and we're going to have to take this into consideration. We've got, I think we've got a lot of our eggs in one basket. I think we've got, we I think we've got out of a dozen, I think we've got 13 eggs in one basket. And so <laughs> we might, we might need to think about how we're going to hedge things out and get into that. That's right. If podcasts go away, there's not a secondary revenue yeah, stream. We're going to add software to find we'll to, Maybe, maybe we'll get that intern program in place and they can come up with the, <laughs> uh, with the new business model, you know, start with cosmetics. See, see if that works out. Uh, it might be good. Now, just as a small topic, uh, you know, we, we like to discuss uh, working at home, working remotely. And uh, you came across, I think, you know, good old, uh, good old Malcolm Gladwell. I, it's just a video clip. So this is a good, good little cable TV news segment here that we can have. But like, <laughs> I, I watched the video clip. I think it was in TikTok, if I remember, or, or something. And, 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 and he makes the point. Let, let, let me try to summarize his point, and, and then you can tell me uh, what, what you think of it. Is that, like, I think what he was trying to say is that, and of course, let's do the thing of, like, you know, unless there is a reason otherwise, right? Like, that something that's inescapable. Like, it's you should not really want to work at home because then you're, like, all alone working at home instead of sort of, like, out in the vibrant world and doing things. And I, and I think... For someone like him, an ideas person, also his age, like having grown up in journalism, it's sort of like, you know, the whole way that you come across new ideas and test things out is there's a lot of serendipity. And I don't know if he covers that in his extensive ovoir, his books, the, the role of serendipity. Uh, but, you know, you encounter a lot of new ideas and people, and it's really like that conversation that we're, we're not everything, but a lot of things come out of it. And so if you're, if you're sitting at home all the time and see even that tone and phrasing gets to the point that is about to be made. But instead, if you're enjoying the bounty of being at home with family, you know, it's kind of like, you know, all those like fidelity commercials where you see some uh, 
very fit yet old person running around with kids and grandkids and vineyards like or vineyards like if you've got that kind of environment going you're still missing out on the uh the thriving lively workplace out there and do you really want to be uh you know a hermit uh with maybe some uh, some close family there or do you want to go into the world Okay, so hold on. I just so the money quote here in the the Gladwell clip that everyone can watch. I've, I'll just quote it here. Right, is uh, quote: "If it's just a paycheck, then what have you reduced your life to?" End quote. That's what he says. That is verbatim, and you can watch the clip on TikTok. And then I did find someone asked me. It's like, well, maybe there's context to it. So there's a whole YouTube video which is a long, so you can watch that to get it. And so most people are dunking on Gladwell around this. And like, I am happy to join in on that. Like, I think this argument is so easily dismissed. That's almost not even worth the trouble. Like go read a million people that have done it on Twitter. What I think here, I was thinking about it is like, I like Malcolm Gladwell's books. I read uh, blink and tipping point, like pretty early in my career and really liked them. And I was thinking to myself, it's like early Malcolm Gladwell would destroy this quote, right? He would have probably written an article or a book about this talking about how it would be something about this. It's like, you know, executives today believe culture is in a building, but it turns out, and then he would cite all these research studies that psychologists have found that like what really binds people together are this, this, and this, and they have nothing to do with being in an office, mm, right? Like, yes, I think early Gladwell could have potentially write an entire book on this, certainly give a talk on this and would absolutely in eviscerate old Gladwell. So I was thinking to myself, I was like, and Gladwell likes sports, right? You know, him and Bill Simmons sometimes going together. And I was like, so we'll just kind of use like an analogy he would use is like, I, I was like, has he just lost his fastball or does this like invalidate his further, his, his earlier works like blink and tipping point, and like the 10,000 hours I've seen attacked a lot. That one I have not read as much. And uh, I think I kind of get the gist of it based on the thing, but I think people have basically come back and said, well, this is kind of BS, like 10,000 hours. There's really nothing to that, right? It's more about, um, there's some data out there to suggest that that's not right. Or there's sort of like inherent, inherent talents. Like for example, to, to practice basketball for 10,000 hours, you still need to be like really, really tall. Right. right? right, So there's like kind of some stuff that goes in there. So anyway, I'll let other people take that away. But I was just thinking to myself, like, I don't know, um, could take like, we're at least in the same age bracket. Like, and I think, you know, you and I, like you probably at some point, like we're, maybe we even talked about these books. Like, I think we probably liked them at the time, like tipping point, like how ideas spread. That was sort of like, as the internet was growing. And that's why I think that book kind of spoke was like, Oh, like you put out good content and like people share it. And that's how ideas spread. And that's probably not new, but it was like new to me. Right. It was sort of like, he was the one that sort of like yeah, opened yeah, my eyes. Yeah. Like that's really thinking about. It. So, so in some ways, like seeing this quote was just like, it's like seeing a great athlete. And I'm like, yeah, just lost his fastball. Like doesn't have, doesn't have anymore. And he just, I mean, like he's just become like completely detached. Right. Like he just, uh, like, again, like, like I said, I just repeating myself. It's like early Gladwell would, would just destroy this quote. And so I just, I don't know. I just wanted your take as maybe the liberal arts kind of person. Now for that quote in particular, like, like I, mm-hmm. I could think of many reasons why that quote is, is, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to be like the kind person here. Well, so I'll put it to I'll put it two ways. I, I, I think I think what, what good luck. I think there's just no I think it's indefensible on every level. Go ahead. But go ahead. Do your best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there, you, there you go. So so I could see how that quote is indefensible or or or, uh, or difficult right now. Uh, on the on the other hand, like everything that I just summarized isn't that quote. <laughs> right like like and 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 so i wonder if like, like you you do have to like kind of separate like he, so there's two things in that little clip and and as always any little clip is just like an excuse to like talk about 
an idea that comes from it, maybe not the original source material or, or whatever, right? And and so it seems like so there is this idea of like, well, yeah, if you're in the uh, the Hermitage, however you say that, like your home at home as a as a hermit, like yeah, you do cut off like all these other interactions. I mean, this is like the magic. Probably when, whenever we figure out if coffee and wine or butter are actually healthy or unhealthy for you is probably when we'll also figure out if for, you know, a creative thriving place, you need to have in-person interactions or not. It seems to go back and forth uh, between them. And so like that seems to be the one thing is it's just like, oh, you've got this whole other source of let's call it energy and creativity and just kind of like flow of work that you cut yourself off from, which is kind of the part that I was hearing from it. But then you are right. But then he like, and this is, this is the magic of just like live talking instead of editing stuff, right? Then you kind of, you know, he gets to this quote you're saying, and that becomes, there must be a name for this in rhetoric if I had that big poster of rhetorical moves. But it's kind of like the, it's like, you know, the final stab, right? And now I'm going to add this quippy thing on the end to kind of like push my point. Uh, over the edge and that point being that like now i'm going to make another appeal which is an appeal to like um an appeal to like personal growth right and that personal growth being i'm going to attach to a, a a notion that i think has been rightly so much maligned in the past 10 or so years this is where the word like privilege comes into play and everything it's just like well not everyone in fact few people can choose the paycheck that they have right and so like if it is the case, like, it's it's not really a helpful argument to, like, add that you should choose a job that helps, you know, you become your best self. So, like, that statement is just, like, this is the kind of thing you would edit out nowadays is, is you know, I would add a comment here being like, oh, I get what you're saying. But what you're doing is you're opening yourself up to really bad conversation in Twitter you don't want to be part of, right? Like like a whole series of like, well, how about people who can't choose their paycheck and they have to work for home? And then what about those people who don't have thriving creative energy in their workplace and they're just like mopping up kids' vomit somewhere? Or adults well, But flip it around. But then the, the other, and the one that I think is most important and the part that I think is why this is totally indefensible, what about people that are sort of like, I want to channel my energies into things that are outside of work. This is true right? as and well. New, yes. And there are numerous things to say like, yeah, I, I work because, you know, because this idea, what if you reduce your life? Yeah. To? Well, you could, like I, I may have many aspirations outside of work and, you know, anyone can think of them, parenting, children, education, politics social movement. I mean, it's just limitless, right? There are limitless numbers of things that you can, uh, if you will, quote unquote, you like reduce your life to that are outside of work that are very, that I think most people would say are very noble causes. So, so, when it, so, how about I'll suggest a rewording, not to rescue it, but just to make it more precise. There's no, I mean, no, 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 no. good luck. I'm, I'm not, I'm not rescuing you. I'm just, I'm just kind of like figuring out a, di- a different idea here, which is like, if it's just a paycheck, like, then what have you reduced your work to? Right. Like that's I think that's the more like thoughtful question, which which, you know, it, it, it can go two ways or, or it can go three ways. The first way is like, well, I, I'm not the one who did the reducing. I have to do this. Right. And so that this discussion is moot. Right. There's a whole other kind of conversation we need to have about basically I have to do this, even though it's not desirable or, or whatever. Right. Like and maybe I can manage that. Maybe it's bad. You know, whatnot. And the second one is like, is I think the, the, the thing rhetorically or whatever this is going towards is like, ah, yes, I should have the self-actualization and live my best life. And it's time for me to reevaluate. Like, like there's that. Now, the third one, I think, is what, what you're getting to and what, you know, 
I, you know, capitalism gone wild with too many screwdrivers. Like what I'm often like angling to is like, that's exactly what I've reduced my work to. Like, that's fantastic. <laughs> like, because I got this whole other part called life and I would like, trying to do right I would like to reduce my work as much to a paycheck as possible to the point that if a paycheck was just auto deposited into my bank every month and I had to do no work, that would be the best reduction of, yeah, of, of, of my work down to that. But the meta, I guess the whole thing is like, we've, I guess we have taken our chance to dunk on him. At least I have. I've, I have. You've done a good job trying to, uh, to save him a little bit. Cote, I'm not, I'm not convinced, but I, I, your efforts are noble. I think the meta conversation to me, Joe, is just like, you know, Gladwell is a professional speaker. He hosts podcasts. He is probably one of the best selling, at least let's say nonfiction, right? Authors of our time in his genre, right? And like, I, I just think to me, it's like, lost this fastball like this is just like i mean you know if this is your job right and this is what you do and you go out and you say this it's like early gladwell i'll just return to what i said before would destroy this and i just like and then he can walk it back he has access to twitter he has his own podcast his own business and it's like i haven't seen anything yet right like i listen i misspeak all the time i'm sure like it would be fine if he said you know i i i when i misspoke as i've you know reflected on it but he hasn't done any of that like i haven't mm. seen any of this stuff so so to me, it's just like, hey, sometimes, I don't know, maybe it is, it's like, don't ever meet your heroes, you just get disappointed. So maybe, so maybe this is the whole thing. Don't watch, don't watch uh, heroes, or I don't know, authors you like, don't watch their TikTok. How, 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 was the, uh, how was the rest of the interview? Maybe, maybe I should uh, It's super long. The rest of it, I think, was like, eh, it was just kind I'll of, uh, I, I mean, it just, I felt it, if anything else, because I, I was a little primed to just find like, you know, inconsistencies, because he opens the interview yeah. talking about how he grew up in Canada, he didn't like to play hockey because he started late. And that he spent a lot of time alone as a kid. And he thought that was really a real advantage, right? This is like in the first five minutes of the interview. It's like, yeah, well, no shit. Like you're like, okay, sometimes being at home, doing your own thing is a, a way to grow. And it's like, that seems to completely contradict his like, you know, this whole like work from home thing that he says later in the thing. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so I don't know. I, I'm looking forward to it. I will be watching. Maybe I just, it just hit a nerve to me because I liked his book so well, much. I, I haven't caught up with. Hopefully he redeems himself in some way. I mean, to, to address questions you were asking earlier to close it out. Like I haven't read his stuff in a long time just because. I don't know. I don't, I, as I've demonstrated, I don't like to criticize a lot of like people's creative efforts, but like for me, it was sort of like a, a kind of a, a one trick pony sort of thing is like, it's groundbreaking work to establish what, you know, the, the Merlin man podcast call a turns out thing where it just like, there's, you know, which directly leads to Freakonomics and Ted talks and like this kind of like realm of like, you know, but what about this? Right. Like, you know, sort yeah. of like knowledge that comes out there, which is, fine like i don't think that really existed when we were kids i mean you know it existed here and there but it wasn't like and, and then you also had like the thinking fast thinking slow people where you realize there was this like whatever i don't need to go over it it was just a different way of thinking that we've added to everything else that i think is helpful but i i'm not sure i, I don't know it, it seems it seems like i i don't know if there's been interesting new uh things for me again there and and then the other thing is like yeah, I mean, you got to be really careful if you're the turns out guy and you teach everyone to do turns out logic because they're going to turn you out all the time, right? Like they're going to be, <laughs> yeah, and maybe that, yeah. They're also going to be on you using your own medicine to like mess with you, right? Because like it's cool to be the turns out person, right? And so like you've got to really like it becomes stressful. It's almost one of those things where you just, you know, at one point you got to be like, oh man, I'm sick of this shit, right? Like I'm I'm gonna move on to something else, but. Uh, I don't know. It's probably, I, I haven't listened to him in a while. I should go listen to that interview. It, it would especially be good because, I mean, as, as you're pointing out, the other nice thing about 
not other. But a nice thing about interviews with people who work primarily in an edited medium, especially internet-style interviews where you don't do any editing and you just let it go as long as possible and you post it, is like you really get to know that person a lot better than just their uh, their presented, edited self, which which is one reason why podcasts are, are so great. Now, speaking of why podcasts are great, there's, in addition to the content, there's one reason why this podcast is so great, and it involves people sending you their mailing address, Brandon. What, what happens if they do that? Well, they do. Uh, they send their mailing address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. I will be happy to send them a sticker anywhere in the world. And also, a special plug here, on uh, Saturday, August 27th, we are going to do a Software Defined Talk meetup here in Austin, Texas, most likely at the Pine House uh, down there, uh, kind of in north central Austin at uh, 6.30 p.m. So if you're interested in joining, there's, there's no cost or anything. It's just a meetup, but I'm trying to get a headcount. So there's a link here in the show notes. Uh, just click on register for the meetup. Put your name in there so I can get a headcount. Uh, come meet myself, Kote, other Software Defined Talk listeners. Uh, it sounds like we'll have some beers, we'll have some pizza, and uh, hopefully it'll be a fun event for all. Yeah. You know, it will be fun. Pizza, beer, <laughs> enjoyment. The, the, the cool evening of uh, August 27th in Austin. It'll, it'll be good. Well, uh, there's also a bunch of conferences uh, going on. I think, uh, you know, I want to advertise conferences I am involved in. I'm, I'm going to be at DevOps Days Dallas. Uh, it's going to be uh, August 24th and 25th. I'm giving a, a talk on the 24th. I think the, the opening keynote, unless I misread the program. And then we have uh, the very next week, it's VMware Explorer in San Francisco, August 29th to September 1st. If you haven't uh, checked that out, the content catalog is live. There's a lot of great talks. You should come to it. It'd be great. I actually have a special page you can go to if you go to cote.io slash explore. I have magic tracking links, which I've been told uh, are attributable to me. Uh, And then uh, also in December, we have the Spring One platform, December 6th to 8th. And there is still a uh, open call for that ta- that conference in Texas, which is going to be January January sixteenth and nineteenth. A uh, call for papers open there. Now, with that, Brandon, what do you have to recommend this week? My recommendation this uh, week is an audio book that I recently uh, read. It is called Sea of Tranquility. It is by the same author who wrote Station Eleven. Uh, it's both a book and a mini series on HBO. Uh, the author is uh, Emily St. John. Mandel, which I think is just a fantastic name. Uh, so if you've read that book or you saw that, it's a little bit different story, but it's kind of in the same kind of genre. So if you liked um, her previous work, I think you really liked this one. I enjoyed it. It's a quick read. Uh, and also, you know, Kote, I find like, I just like shorter books. Like I like books <laughs> that just like good pacing and like, I don't know, there's just something like my, my constant refrain is like shorter. And this is sort of, uh, you know, if you will, I found the right, right pace. I thought it was really well paced. I didn't feel like um, I don't like a lot of exposition. You know, I don't like mm. a lot of like, you know, when people start describing landscapes, I'm out. I like like I like stuff happening. Right. Now, let's get on to the action. So um, I I find her writing uh, very appealing and she does a good job of that. So if you're looking for something to listen to or read, uh, check out Sea of Tranquility. Well, I did you did you uh, uh, isn't there a, a movie made of Station Eleven? If, if yeah, there's a miniseries. A miniseries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man, that that's got to be the dream. To be to be an author, you get a book published, and then you get like you get that money from a TV series. Like, I mean, I know it's it's like a a feast or famine sort of thing. So you, it's like you know, even though you may make three hundred thousand dollars one year, well, first you got taxes, so that's that's an annoyance, <laughs> and then you got to make that spread over like two or three years or whatever. But still, 
like, uh, you know, to see all that stuff come to life. Well, two quick things. One, I, as I was reading, I was like, oh, this is going to be a good movie. So see, I always like when like, you're, you're like kind of like, I feel like, you know, of course, like thousands of people, tens of thousands of people read this book, but like, you feel like, oh, I discovered it. Like they're going to, I'm sure they've already, it's in production. I'm sure the movie rights have been sold or whatever. So I think that part is good. But then, you know, what I've read though, is like the author's, because of the way this Hollywood works, like people that say like, like why they get money, they get some money to like sell the story. Like it never feels like it. The authors never, if you will, make a ton. I think you have to be super, super sure, successful, sure. like a, a Stephen King. So that's like a weird thing. It's like, but they made this really successful thing. It's like, yeah, it's just not the way Hollywood works. The money doesn't flow to the authors. It flows to the directors. Yeah. So, yeah. And, anyway, and, and I'm sure she's doing fine. She's right, written right. like, and, and, and books, I, I think, so. I think, I think in my, my dream of this, it's not like a one-time thing. It's just like you do this every couple of years. Like every, every, every book you have has some like deal. So it's a continuous flow of cash. That yeah. You I like it. But, I want to do it. Yeah. We just, uh, only, only thing that separates us uh, and maybe we should outsource that. Like, have we ever written a successful book? I don't know. Okay. We'll have to say, well, we, we maybe, are, maybe someone, uh, Maybe someone could do that for I us. I think the movie we would be optioning would be called McKinsey Titles, the movie, I think is, is what, what we would be, be going for. Well, my, my recommendation, I, I am not going to be able to pronounce the author's name. I guess I know how to say Nguyen, his, uh, his, his last name. I think it's a him. I should check. But uh, yeah, there you go. It's, it's, uh, it's this book that I don't remember buying, but I started reading called The Sympathizer. And it's uh, it's a book about a uh, a guy who uh, escapes uh, Vietnam, uh, you know, during the last days of the Vietnam War, and uh, starts fitting into American uh, society. And it's it's extremely well written and uh, fun to read. I've only read like twenty percent of it, so I don't know if it get, turns terrible, but it's uh, it's a fun book if you're looking for something. As I was, this subject matter is not so relaxing and casual, but the way it's written is a good example of just like a an easy to read book and the content is nice as well well with that you should get off you got two books to read this summer this has been software defined talk <laughs> if you want to get the show notes for this episode you can go to software defined talk.com slash 372 you can find links to things we've mentioned some things we mentioned don't have links uh and also things that we uh, did not mention you should join our slack channel join the conversation and everything and with that we'll see everyone next time bye bye can you imagine being an intern that. for this show? Would it be like, it'd be like an, I think, I don't know. Would it be an awful internship or would it be good? Because like, because it, we would, you would get a lot of responsibility. I think that's for sure. We could offer a lot of responsibility, but yeah. it, it could be the kind of thing where like, I don't get paid enough for that. Like dogs barking in the background. There's a lot of stuff you'd have to like deal with. Why do you, you so, really own snakes? I don't own snakes. <laughs> I have to help people who do own snakes take oh, care of them. Oh, I see. I list now understood. <laughs> I this I get. We, we just got a puppy. So I this is a this is, I'm very familiar with your statements. I've seen that. You got a TikTok puppy. Just in time cuz my daughter just came in here. And it and sounds like it's over. All right. Well, bye that's good. Bye. Glad to have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so much time. All right. Hey, well, thanks for everyone watching the stream. We know it's a little early this week. We uh, had to move the schedule around. So we're probably prime time meeting time for, for work, but I appreciate everyone uh, hanging in there. So, uh, yeah, one more plug for all the streamers. Go uh, check out our uh, meetup. You know, if you're in Austin, we'd, we'd love to see you in uh, and, and have uh, some pizza with you. So, all right, great. Coach, any final words? Uh, no. Do you, do you want to say goodbye? Say bye. Here. Say bye again. Oh, we missed a cute moment.